Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. The recent terrorist attacks on two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, were just the latest in a long line of brutal incidents that have left thousands dead. The Socialist Party opposes all individual terrorism and fights for a socialist world free from war, terror and racism. Today we're discussing how the capitalist class responds to this type of attack and what a socialist program offering a working class alternative to this destruction should look like. Over to Sarah Ruck. Today I'm here with Judy Bishan, who's a member of the Socialist Party's Executive Committee, um, and we're going to be discussing the issue of terrorism, um, and particularly following on from the horrific uh, attacks in Christchurch. And I suppose we should you know, definitely start with expressing the Socialist Party's uh, sympathy and solidarity with the victims and their families there. Um, but this is kind of the latest example of, of what is, in many ways, a, a kind of regular feature, and I think a big concern for many working-class people, and that maybe there's an un- a growing understanding that uh, establishment politicians don't have uh, a solution to this issue. And so we're going to be discussing what a, what a socialist response um, is. So to start with, Judy, why has terrorism become such a feature in the last two decades? Well, I think it's particularly um, certain forms of terrorism that have become a feature over the last two decades. Because, of course, acts of terror do go back a long way in history in various forms. You can go back to the 19th century and see them, that Marxists had to counter methods of terrorism that were being used at that time against Tsarism by the Narodnik movement. And there have been other forms over history. But over the last couple of decades, which you've just mentioned, I think two forms have particularly dominated. Firstly, we've seen acts by far-right individuals like the terrible Norwegian attack in 2011 by Anders Breivik. That one killed 77 people, most of them young people at a summer camp. And um, there's many other examples, of course. There's the one that you've just raised of the recent mass shooting at two mosques in Christchurch in New Zealand, which was again by a far-right terrorist, and that one left 50 people dead and many others injured. But then, secondly, we've seen many terrorist atrocities by individuals or groups that are either part of or inspired by right-wing Islamist networks like ISIS. And it's clear, I think, that that's a particular nightmare uh, for people in the Middle East, but is also occasionally hitting cities across the globe, as we've seen. And the motives behind those attacks, they're multifaceted and no two are exactly the same. But as well as expressing some degree of ideological sympathy for the likes of ISIS, they've, um, the perpetrators have often had, it seems, anger at Western imperialist interventions in the Middle East. And really, I think we should say quite clearly that while in the Socialist Party, we don't give an iota of support to individual terrorist acts or those committed by small groups, that those state interventions in the Middle East have really been the biggest terror actions of them all. When you look at the aerial bombing raids, the 
mass slaughter that has been committed with the latest multi-million pound military hardware uh, on millions of people by the Western capitalist governments, then uh, it's clear that, in fact, it's Western imperialist interventions that uh, have been uh, huge perpetrators of terror, the biggest perpetrators of terror. And in fact, it was Western imperialist interventions that actually led to the development of Islamist terror networks in the first place. In particular, in the 1980s, when US imperialism and other capitalist powers armed Mujahideen groups in Afghanistan who were fighting against the then Russian occupation, that was the time when Al-Qaeda formed itself, which later then went on to carry out terrorist attacks in opposition to the US-led occupations of Afghanistan and Iraq. So you can see that um, imperialist wars and interventions in the Middle East and Afghanistan have not only created a nightmare for the peoples of the Middle East, but they have led to terrible incidences of terrorist atrocities worldwide. And just going back to the issue of the terrorist acts of far-right individuals, like at Christchurch, in those cases, it's necessary to look at what's fueling that kind of neo-Nazi far-right ideology. And it's, uh, I think, you know, we, we've analysed this in, in, in our material, and we would say that much of the responsibility lies with the mainstream capitalist political parties as they fuel racism and the far right through their divisive policies of austerity, with people struggling to get by, services constantly being cut, overstretched, and also through their scapegoating of immigrants and refugees. And we've also said that underlying those policies of the mainstream parties is the rising instability and economic stagnation of the system that they base themselves on, which of course is capitalism and its inability to deliver what people need and want for a decent future. So you've kind of outlined there that there are different types of terrorism. And I suppose one question that I think is a bit debated is, should we have a different approach to acts of terror, dependent on who they're carried out by, what their aim is? Um, And so particularly, for example, I'm thinking of national liberation movements that have used uh, terroristic methods, for example. Well... First of all, we, we, we must say very clearly that socialists should strongly condemn all terrorist attacks. Clearly, they can have terrible consequences on people's lives if they're successful, as far as the terrorists are concerned, especially those that have hit ordinary people indiscriminately, people from all walks of life, as many of them have. We saw in the case of the Christchurch attack that many of those affected were refugees from war zones, in fact, such as Syria, and had seen uh, New Zealand as a safe haven and then got caught up in that. And also as a method of struggle, they they don't succeed, which I might come on to uh, in a minute. But really, the question you're asking touches on the issue of the overall aims and motives of the terrorists, which could sometimes, yes, be aims that we'd support, like national liberation, rather than being reactionary aims, like, say, the likes of ISIS and Al-Qaeda, who promote division amongst ordinary people, who support capitalism and semi-feudal relations, in fact. So, yes, you know, we, we should distinguish between those aims and those of, say, a national liberation movement, some of which, in fact, have adopted aspects of left-wing ideology. 
But having said that, sympathising, um, us sympathising with an organisation's motives doesn't mean that we should support whatever methods are used. And in this case that we're talking about here of uh, the method of terrorism, as a method of struggle um, to achieve those objectives, we wouldn't agree uh, with, with that. For instance, um, I'll give an example. We oppose the brutal repression of the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip by the Israeli military forces, and we support the right of the Palestinians to armed self-defence. But at the same time, we've always recognised that terror attacks committed by Palestinian groups against Israeli civilians are counterproductive as a method of struggle. And this is for several reasons. They bring down greater repression on the Palestinian communities whose name they're done under. They cause needless loss of life of the people they hit, the Israeli civilians they hit. They also play into the hands of the Israeli ruling class because the Israeli government can use those attacks to pose as the champions of security and law and order and then draw in support on that basis by increasing repressive measures. And uh, very importantly uh, as well, or, or, or most importantly even, they can also undermine the potential for successful mass struggle by the Palestinians by, in other words, um, the, the need for democratically organised mass struggle that can succeed in realising the Palestinian aims. Because what these terrorist acts do is they substitute for that struggle the method of secret conspiratorial acts carried out by small, more groups instead of that mass struggle that's needed. And I think that these consequences of terrorism are broadly the same anywhere in the world. Terrorist methods tend to drive working class people into the arms politically of the bosses and their representatives. Uh, we could give other examples, for instance, the terror attacks in Paris in 2015. Um, in the wake of those, a majority of people backed the state of emergency and the extra powers for the state authorities that were imposed by the Hollande government. So terror acts end up being a blind alley, in fact. They don't end up advancing a struggle, no matter what the motives, to go back to your question. I think um, this issue of uh, kind of different types of terrorism being treated differently um, was particularly discussed after the Christchurch uh, attacks, because it does seem, doesn't it, that the, the capitalist establishment, anyway, treats differently those two main types of terrorism that you talked about uh, at the start that have been kind of most um, prevalent in the last 20 years of the right terrorism carried out by right-wing Islamic groups and those of the, the far right? Well, certainly I think it tends to suit their agenda better if they can blame the likes of ISIS rather than the far right. If you take the United States, for an example, after the mass killing at the Latino gay nightclub in Orlando in 2016, we saw what Donald Trump did. You know, he's, he's used it. He said it showed why Muslims should not be allowed to enter the country. You know, he used it to serve his racist, divisive agenda. But in fact, most of the terror attacks in the US have been carried out by right-wing so-called white supremacists, such as last year's attack at the Pittsburgh synagogue. And these are not so much a gift, a propaganda gift to Trump for, for two reasons, really. One, because the far-right and racist right-wing elements in US society are part of his support base, in fact. And secondly, because these attacks raise the question 
of how far Trump's racist and divisive rhetoric and policies have fueled those far-right elements that are carrying out atrocities like that and have helped create the conditions uh, for those attacks. And of course, you know, there have been questions and uh, on those issues amongst workers and middle-class people across the, the US. In New Zealand, where the Christchurch attack took place, the policies of the government political parties have have, have helped, we, I think we can say, to legitimise the policies of the far right. For instance, one of the coalition partners, the New Zealand First Party, previously wanted a referendum on reducing the political rights of the indigenous Maori population. And it's the case that the main capitalist parties there, as in a lot of countries, have left room for the growth of the far right by inflicting austerity policies on ordinary people. Now, uh, another issue in relation to your question is the fact that state institutions tend to be more vigorous in countering attacks by right-wing Islamists than those of the far right. In Britain, for instance, you know, we've just seen that uh, an exposure with the recent trial of a group of suspected members of the neo-Nazi organisation National Action of the fact that um, the police hadn't even been watching that organisation, in fact. And it was the whistleblowing of a former member of it who revealed the criminal activity that was that was going on. So, you know, that's just an example of the uh, way that the state forces, the police and so on, react, you know, in terms of the different types of attack. And this is an issue that has been used to smear Jeremy Corbyn, isn't it? Well, certainly it's been used to try to smear him, yes. The capitalist media realise it's a weak spot that uh, some left organisations and Labour lefts over time haven't clearly condemned terror acts where they've been committed, particularly by people whose cause they've got some sympathy with. And I think that um, it's, you know, it's, it's clear that we in the Socialist Party can't be attacked in that way because we've unequivocally condemned all terrorist acts. And in the case of Jeremy Corbyn, he has stated that he's against all terrorism. But in the past, some of his comments in interviews and so on show that he hasn't clearly condemned terrorist acts that have been committed in the name of causes he supports in a, in a kind of direct manner. He's been accused of evading um, a direct condemnation, really, uh, particularly of um, when he's been asked about attacks committed by the provisional IRA, the Irish Republican Army, in the past. And if you compare that to the stance that we've taken, uh, we have supported the class-based interests of both the Catholic and Protestant working class in Ireland. But we have made it absolutely clear that we have never supported the terrorist campaign of the IRA, which, of course, inflicted many tragedies and served to worsen the divisions and the sectarianism. It's also the case that Corbyn's been accused of being too friendly towards right-wing Islamist organisations like Hamas in Gaza, which some of the governments around the globe class as a terrorist organisation. But... Um, I think, you know, while all of this is true, he's not, he's not been as clear as he should have been in some of these cases, it's important for us to recognise that Jeremy Corbyn has always been very strongly opposing the interventions by the Western imperialist governments 
in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, um, of course, you know, Iraq, Libya, Syria and so on. And it's the mass devastation and loss of life from those wars that, as I touched on earlier, has created the conditions for a really uh, horrific level of terrorist violence, not just in those countries, but around the world. And so on the other side of things, what what has been the main um, approach of the capitalist establishment to dealing with terrorism? Well, they can't prevent it because only removing the conditions for it could do that. There's been a combined military assault on ISIS, of course, in Iraq and Syria, which has pushed ISIS out of towns it controlled. But that isn't going to wipe out the ability of ISIS to carry out terror acts or for offshoots from it to develop uh, and do that. That's not going to be possible by military means, however much they're pushed back in terms of the territory that they've controlled. The main way that governments try to counter terrorism is to try to appear to be tough on security by increasing repressive legislation and apparatus. But we can also say that no amount of doing that can stop terrorist attacks either because it's not possible for them to close off all the possible ways that these attacks can be carried out. But then, despite that, even though those measures kind of can't completely stamp out terrorism, should we support those counter-terrorist measures that are introduced by capitalist governments? In every country, the state forces already have the power to investigate, arrest and try people that they suspect of criminal acts. So these extra packages of so-called anti-terrorism legislation rather than actually acting to catch more terrorists and prevent more atrocities, are in effect really uh, measures to be seen to be doing something to address people's fear and anger. And the effect of those measures is to reduce democratic rights and privacy for all of us, uh, in fact. If you look at the state of emergency that was introduced in France uh, in, in, uh, just a few years ago by Hollande that I've referred to, It enabled the authorities to search any premises without any judicial oversight. It enabled them to be able to restrict people's movements in any area that they chose to do so. It gave them the powers to ban public meetings and quite a number of other measures that would affect the day-to-day lives of ordinary people and also those in the labour movement, um, trade unionists and so on, and protesters. And it's and in fact, these kinds of measures, you know, have been and will be used against peaceful protesters and the workers' movement in the future. In Britain, we're all under greater surveillance now than ever because of the anti-terrorism laws that have been passed here. And if you want an example, in fact, of um, of where the, the laws have been used against protesters, you can look at the Stansted 15 because they were carrying out non-violent protests against forced deportations, but it was the anti-terrorist legislation that was used to prosecute them, uh, to put them on trial. So you can see how it can and will be used, and for all these reasons, we're we're opposed to these laws that that aren't actually necessary uh, to to, to catch, uh, arrest and um, catch and uh, terrorists and prevent those acts. So what is our alternative to that then? What kind of measures uh, could act to keep working class communities safe? Well, terrorism clearly doesn't arise from nowhere. It's a product of concrete conditions and experiences. 
and the breeding grounds are clearly oppression, war, inequality, bigotry, racism and so on. So first of all, I think it's definitely necessary for us to organise against imperialist wars to build movements of the working class that will be powerful enough to stop our governments pursuing these wars and movements that can force the removal of all the foreign troops from the Middle East. But also, in relation to the far right, keeping them out of our communities is extremely important. And that means countering them wherever they raise their head. And it also means presenting a socialist alternative to which young people who feel alienated from capitalist society can turn, so so that they turn in that direction instead of turning towards the far right and becoming part of those organisations. We've often used the slogan, jobs and homes, not racism, to precisely show that we, we need to unite and fight for decent living standards for all of us. And this can only be done through building the workers' movement, through arming it with socialist ideas that could show a way out of the nightmare that young people face under this declining system. United struggles of working-class people are the necessary alternative to division and to what can end up being really desperate acts uh, carried out in some cases, as we've seen with um, some of the terrorist acts carried out by individuals and you know we also would say that it's those united struggles that have the power to transform society not any acts of terror these are the methods of struggle of the of workers movements of the labor and trade union movements mass meetings demonstrations and mass actions in order to defeat the bosses and to be able to challenge and remove capitalism Okay, thanks very much for joining us, Judy. Head over to the episode notes at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast for links to articles on this topic. Send your questions and thoughts for future episodes to socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. And to help us spread the podcast to even more listeners, please leave us a five-star review and click subscribe in your podcast app.